Today's scripture reading passage comes from the book of 1 Kings, chapter 19, verses 1 to 8. Please stand for the reading of God's word. First Kings 19, verses 1 to 8. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So may the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid, and he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he rose and ate and drank and went went in the strength of the Lord of that food, forty days and forty nights, to Horeb, the mount of God. This is God's word. You may be seated. I remember the phone call well. As I tell the story now, I've changed some of the details and, in fact, mixed and matched a number of different conversations so they're not identifiably any particular individual, but behind it, there's, there's a, a real story. I remember the phone call well. He, he called me up and said, I need to talk. And I knew this person well enough that I could tell by the tone in his voice that he needed to talk. You see. And so I, I, I dropped everything. I was at the office and got in my car, drove to meet him, and we talked. Well, the long and the short of it was that he was saying something similar to Elijah in verse 4. Now, these days, uh, you may well be aware, there are pretty strict protocols uh, that are encouraged and advised when those kind of words are spoken by any individual. One of those is to insist on experienced or, if you like, professional help. It's unfair for any individual, however down in the dumps, to inflict their sort of um, life uncertainty potentially upon you. The other thing that's often advised is to say something like, will you promise that you're not going to do anything stupid? You don't want to live with someone else's life on your hands. But having done all those kind of normal things, I was then in full-on therapy in a pastoral sense, mind, uh, mode. And so here's what I did. I, I got the person into a safe place and... I got them simply to rest. I then asked uh, him to write down everything they were thinking. Uh, Sometimes just the act of writing can bring clarity to an overworked mind. And this, this took some time and 
having written it all down, they came back to me uh, quite a number of hours later, and, and then I asked them to share what they wanted to share from what they had written. Some was private, some they wanted to tell me. And so then we talked about that. I then said to this, this person, I said, now write down everything that you can think of from the Bible. This was a Christian, you see. Everything you can think of from the Bible that re- relates to what you have just been thinking that you've written down. And that took a long time as well. This, this went on for a, you know, a number of hours, a, f- a few days. And then uh, that, that, that document, as it were, came back and we talked about that. Gradually, the one shone light on the other and clarity and insight was illumined. And this individual is now in effective Christian leadership and ministry. Now, you see, Elijah is sometimes sort of dismissed as some sort of depressive or something. Ah. But that's really to miss the extreme stress that he has been under. In fact, it is common after a great spiritual act of leadership for an attack to come after you've been baptized or perhaps after you finish a time of service in some leadership position or after a teaching meeting or maybe after counseling someone. But in particular for Elijah, the great change from the victory of Mount Carmel when he stood bravely before thousands of pagan prophets to this running for his life from Jezebel, that needs to be rightly understood, otherwise it just seems bizarre. How can the one person be like that and the other person completely different? But see, Jezebel got a message to him. It would be like going to court with a well-known gangster and you win the case and you go home to your, of course, unlisted address to get a bit of rest. And then a messenger comes to the door saying, we know where you live and you are dead. We're going to make you an offer you can't refuse. And the point is then that she knew how to find him. And so he didn't feel safe. He, he had to run and he did. And he, uh, he dismisses his servant, uh, perhaps indicating uh, many have thought, some have thought, his, his retirement, he's retiring from public ministry. He, he fires the staff of his ministry, and he hides under a broom tree, a, the, a large common shrub in the Middle Eastern desert, which would have provided some shade from the heat of the day. Now, there are lots of practical lessons here about how to find renewal, and we'll go through those, but at its heart is a spiritual lesson. See, the books of 1 and 2 Kings, originally one book, are all about finding the right king. And 1 and 2 Samuel is about who is the right king, and that leads to David. And 1 and 2 Kings about who is the right king, and that in the end leads to exile. And the point is that the kingship that Israel needed was not ultimately David or any other human king. God could even use pagan king Cyrus. The king they need is God, whose whose kingship can be expressed surely, if superficially, through other human leaders. Perhaps we need to learn that lesson again today. No human leader is ultimately what we need. We, we need. we need God to lead us. 
And Israel has to learn this spiritual lesson of renewal. That is, only God is enough. And that's what Elijah is learning here. Not his ministry, not his leadership, not even being a great prophet. That's not enough. Elijah embodies that lesson in his own experience here. Like like Israel wandered 40 years in the wilderness, so he, 40 days, before he comes to the Mount of God, a 40 days in the wilderness that leads us to the feet of the great King Jesus, who was tempted 40 days in the desert. You see the theme. And it's out of that that all the practical lessons uh, come out of the, the, the sufficiency of God alone. And so Elijah says in verse 4, I've had enough. I'm done. It's over. It is enough. It's put there. But then verse 7, the angel uses the same word to say the journey is too much for you. You, you don't have enough. And then he comes to Mount Horeb, whose etymology is much debated and, and ultimately unknown. But the word here in this context resonates with enough. Only God is enough. And see, this is the lesson that must be learned by Elijah, the sufficiency of God alone. (laughs) And he does it in three very practical ways. And I want us all to learn and experience this renewal by following Elijah to the Mount of God. Now, here are the practical ways. First way, be real. (laughs) Now, this is so different from so many of us, I think. Elijah is brutally real with God. I don't think he's wrong to tell God what he's feeling. Now, it's a good thing that God does not answer his prayer. And uh, we can then be forever, I think, free from the idea that, uh, you know, you have to be sort of careful. Have you heard the phrase, watch what you pray for? He's honest with God. God can take your incorrect prayers without feeling he has to do what you tell him to do. Right? Jesus teaches us how to pray by calling God Father, Abba. And here is possibility for honesty in that perfect Father relationship. And his healing begins with honesty. You see, I've seen so many people who are so obviously in trouble say, I'm fine. And you think, who are you kidding? But they cannot see it, or they do not want to see it, or they think that if they don't say it, you won't see it. Now, of course, we we don't want to break someone else's confidence by our doubts, and we cannot always say everything to everyone. Just think of uh, children who need protecting on occasions until they are strong enough to deal with whatever it is that we're dealing with. But God does not need protecting. I think, think of Elijah, this great prophet with his great most famous prayer quoted in the, in the New Testament, referred to in the New Testament, praying that it would not rain and it did not, that it would rain and it did in James. It allows us to look at this prayer not as a prayer of a spiritual pygmy, but a spiritual giant. Jesus may have taught his disciples to pray, our Father in heaven, in a rather 
you know, we say it in church and it may seem to be a sort of rather refined, careful, sort of theological statement. But the same Jesus prayed, take this cup from me, sweating blood. Honest. You say, well, why does it matter that you're honest? Because until you're honest, I'm not sure you're going to begin to heal. I don't mean honest with yourself, you know, the sort of eat, pray, love, eternal sort of uh, journey into the innermost secrets of your heart that you can never figure out. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about being honest with God. And even if that's saying, you know, I am completely confused here. I have no idea what's going on in my life. But being honest with him about that. In case some of you haven't noticed, I'm in my early 40s. I know you think I'm 18 by the way I look, but... um, Uh, And uh, midlife is an interesting time for men. Isn't that right, ladies? (laughs) I've heard someone call it the male menopause. It's a little awkward, that, I think. But uh, (laughs) I remember when I was a younger pastor going uh, and uh, visiting an older parishioner at the time of the church where I was, and he had... uh, he was probably about the same age as I am now, and I noticed that he bought himself a motorbike. And I asked him why, and he said to me this, uh, well, it was either a blonde or a bike, and my wife said bike. <laughs> I, I, I know what he was saying. I guess he, of the two, he made the right choice. But no, it's either a blonde or a bike or a Bible. You've got to be honest with God to dig deep and find that God and God's Word is enough. (laughs) Ultimately, what is a midlife crisis? What does that reveal? Ultimately, a midlife crisis reveals which idols you've been worshipping in the first half of your life. I don't mean that you're not a Christian or something like that, but where you've been placing... uh, immoderate ultimacy, if you like. It could be success, it could be, if it's sex, if it's ministry. How do you know? Here's how you know. You know when you realize that it's not enough, it will not suffice. They'll be over one day, and you have to find your sufficiency in God's supremacy. Now, see, Elijah did not say, I'm out of here. I'm going to get myself a new Harley Davidson chariot. He was real. He faced the facts. Brave enough. Confident enough in God. Who could deal with it? Be real. But being real is only good if it goes somewhere. Wallowing in transparency can be as manipulative or selfish, uh, just as pretending everything is fine, you don't need anything while your life is falling apart can be as well. Now, he was not only real, he was also second, practical. So first be real, second be practical. And I love the way that God deals with him. It's so different from the kind of advice I've often heard given in God's name. Someone fails a test at school. Here comes the spiritual band-aid. Don't worry, God loves you. Yeah, he does, but I still failed. Someone has a relationship 
problem. They, they break up with someone. and Don't worry, God still loves you. Yeah, I, I know, but he doesn't. Now, you want to use your Bible verses. That is ultimately, that's, that's where the, the healing, the voice of God, the angel of the Lord is going to come from. You want to use your Bible verses, but you don't want to use them like Job's comforters. And so often the first thing, once someone is real and wants a plan to help, the first thing is actually basic practicality. And so the angel of the Lord does not say, "Um, go to a conference, Elijah. He doesn't say, read four Christian books about this. They'll really help you. He doesn't say, let's really get to the, you know, let's get to the source of the problem. Let's get to the sin behind the sin, you know, why you're feeling like this. Let's go down and get you even more introverted than you already are, Elijah. Confess your sins more and more and more and more. The advice is very practical. What is it? Verses 5 to 7, eat Sleep, repeat. John Stott's mentor, a man called by the nickname Bash because of his evangelistic zeal, used to say that the secret of the Christian life is sleep. We are psychosomatic units. Our bodies and our souls are somehow mysteriously intertwined, and so that when our bodies are weak, our souls can be weak too in many cases. And so the first thing is practical. So very often, get a decent sleep pattern going. Take distractions out of the bedroom. Don't watch so much TV at night. Don't sleep in late. Regular, good Sleep. Eat proper food. If you eat junk, you will feel probably junky. God gave Elijah a good barbecue baked over hot coals with a jar of water. But behind, of course, that practicality is the spiritual lesson that he wanted Elijah to realize. He's he's saying, isn't he, Elijah, you now cannot even make yourself a sandwich and a good cup of coffee anymore. That's how much you need me. Only I am enough, Elijah. Let's uh, let's just draw out some practical tips. I've got a few here, five, I've numbered them. There are probably different ways of arranging them that come out of this that you may find helpful. One, do not try to solve the whole thing at once. Do not try to solve the whole thing at once. This was not a come-to-Jesus moment in that rather overused phrase. This was a come-to-dinner moment. And so if someone is under a broom tree, they're not going to be led to the altar five minutes later. Don't try to solve the whole thing at once. Start small. Two, do not ignore the physical. Do not ignore the physical. We are body and soul. And sometimes people get into trouble through hormones as much as neurons, the way they're thinking. Physical fitness is not the be-all and end-all. Physical training is of some value. So focus on steady, normal, physical health, not trying to look like Justin whatever his name is. Three, do not ignore the power of physical touch. 
Uh, the angel's touch here can be spiritualized, and I suppose that is appropriate and leads us, of course, in some sense to the, the feet of Jesus and, and all of that. But somehow, Elijah was touched, however you understand the angel and the human interaction here. Do not ignore the power of physical touch. And I have to nuance this carefully because I'm as for cheesy Christian side hugs as the next man. And I don't want any weirdos kind of using the angel's touch as an Elijah as an excuse to do something improper or immoderate or whatever it is. It needs to be appropriate and all the rest. But young person, you will be surprised just how lonely and cut off a shut-in can feel and how much a hand on a shoulder can mean. Gently, so you don't break anything, but nothing weird or untoward. It wasn't that he just needed waking up. Angels can find other ways to wake people up. He needed to be touched. For do not be surprised if the Bible has the answer. And often when someone's in this kind of situation, they think the last thing in the world they want is the Bible. But do not be surprised that the Bible has the answer. I am as for reading Christian books as a person who has written several can be, and blogs, and Twitter, and all the rest. But the Word of God, the Bible itself, there is, there is power in the voice of the angel, God's Word to Elijah. And if you feel like you cannot stand another Christian lecture to tell you what you're meant to feel, but you do not feel, my friend, do not give up on the Bible. This is not just exciting rhetoric. Be aware that some preachers just shout and wave their hands and say, Joy! And and they they say it in such a very exciting way. You think they're saying something profound. And they get more and more up and down and forwards and backwards and move across. And they really make you weep and then laugh and cry. And they're saying nothing. Nothing. The Bible, God's Word rightly understood, rightly explained, comes with the voice of the angel. Do not be surprised if you find the answer in the Bible. And five, as people have often noticed from this story here, Elijah is given purpose, so give purpose give purpose. So you see the angel in in the second time when he says, eat, sleep, he tells Elijah about the journey. Well, it seems to me that Elijah didn't think and no idea that he'd come to the desert for a journey. He thought he'd come to die. Oh, no, Elijah. This is so often the way with the Christian life, isn't it? We, We mirror the pattern of the cross, the death and the resurrection. And so, So often it is the case that the worst is the path to the best, that the bitterest pain is the path to the sweetest fruit, the hollowest defeat, that's the path to the greatest victory. And here's this prophet feeling defeated feeling sorry for himself, sitting under a broom tree, that he is about to embark on a journey that only Moses before him 
and only Christ after him could even imagine. Forty days, forty nights, Mount Horeb, the Mount of God. And so because of the truth of God's Word, because God loves, because, because God not only knew all about this, but is in control of this and is arranging this and is a part of this. All this then is woven together in such a way that in God's sovereign plan, in the shape of the cross, this is the beginning to that. You think it's the end, Elijah. And the angels, it were, saying, oh no, you ain't seen nothing yet. I think Mount Carmel was impressive. I've got another mountain, the Mount of God, for only God is enough. Third and finally, then, not only be real, not fake with God, that's where healing so often begins when we're real with God and engage and with Him at that level, not only be practical in these ways I've just mentioned, but also then, my friends, third, be persistent. Persistence. And this is going to be the shortest of the three points, but I think in some ways the most important. It's amazing, isn't it, what we can get done with persistence. It's amazing what we can get done if we just don't stop doing it. Einstein is often quoted here, though I'm not sure whether it was he or Edison, the light bulb guy who said it, but one way or another, genius is the quotation, 1% inspiration, 99% perspiration. So many people don't get to where they need to get to because they give up. And what did Churchill say about that? Never, 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 never give up. Be persistent. You say, well, what about Elijah here? Well, here is Elijah. Think about it. 40 days and 40 nights. Think about that. That is 40 full days. That's over a, a month. He isn't driving, he's walking. Six weeks in the desert on foot. Perhaps he ate other things as he went along. I, I'm sure he did, but that must have been one good Labor Day barbecue that he began with. I suppose he slept, but the sense I get from the 40 days, 40 nights is that he just kept on going like a tank early, late through the desert over a month, six weeks. Persistence. And when he gets there, of course, what happens, we know he meets with God and is given this new purpose. Oh yeah, we can preach sermons about that and you get excited about that, but the persistence that it took to get to the mountain at all? What did Jesus say? Seek and you will find. Not lie back and take it easy. Knock and the door will be open. Not kind of wish it would be, you know, vaguely. I wish that door would be open, you know. Ask and you will receive. And what did he mean by asking? The persistent widow who kept on knocking until the unjust judge woke up and gave him justice against her adversary. Persistence. It's amazing what you can get done for God if you just keep on doing it. Now, God delights to answer our prayers, and sometimes He answers right away. But God does not treat us in such a way to spoil us. He wants to develop our character, to grow us, to get us ready 
not just for another experience on some Mount Horeb in some metaphorical sense, but ultimately pilgrim through this barren land in our path of holiness and godliness to that mount of God. Be persistent. Never, never, never give up. What does Paul say, the apostle? You have been reconciled by Christ's physical body. Yes, he carries on though. This is Colossians 1, 22 and 23. You've been reconciled by Christ's physical body if you continue in your faith. That isn't any doubt on the sovereignty of God and all being by grace. He's calling the Colossians to persistence. If you continue in your faith, you've got to keep on going. Persistence. Be persistent. 40 days, 40 nights at the end, Mount Horeb. Not at the beginning. Now, one of the ironies of talking on a subject like this, Elijah here, is that people can assume that uh, the one talking has never been through anything like they have been through themselves. I remember writing an article for someone's blog once on this kind of theme, and, you know, you go back to the blog and you wonder what people are saying about it in the comments underneath, and I read some of them, and someone there was saying, this is obviously someone who's never experienced it if he's saying that God is enough. I didn't write anything, I didn't want to say anything in that context, in that kind of forum, but what I wanted to say was, no, my friend, it's written by someone who has experienced it, and that's why I can say God is enough. Actually, I think if I'd shown that comment to my wife on that blog page there, she would just have laughed out loud. She might even have written LOL underneath, you know, from wife. Yeah, under the broom tree. You've been there, I've been there. In some dark room. Perhaps you're there now. God is enough. And I say, how do you find that to be the case in my own personal experience? Be real, be practical. Be persistent. And you say, well, how do I persist? How do I keep on going? Someone else made this journey for you. This time perfectly in the desert. Without sin, He became sin and took your sin for you, that in Him you might be the righteousness of God. And so underneath it all, the guilt can be gone. You've probably heard the story of Katie, Martin Luther's wife, haven't you? Have you heard this one? Uh, Of course, Martin Luther was famously given to funks. That's the technical name for it. Churchill called them the black dog. Anyway, one time, Katie dressed up to uh, greet uh, Martin Luther on his way back home when Luther was in one of his uh, sort of uh, moods, as it were, And Katie dressed up to greet uh, Luther on his way back home into the house in full black morning outfit. So Martin, you know, walks in, looks at Katie and says, who's dead? Katie says, God is. At least you think he would be. By the way, you've been acting. (laughs) Snapped him out of it. (laughs) To keep on going. 
I don't know, perhaps God's barbecue and the angels touch will snap you out of it too to keep on going. Remember, one greater than Elijah went there before you. Let's pray together. Father, as we think of this theme, we know uh, some people who have been through Elijah-like experiences. We, we may be under the broom tree ourselves right now. We, we may not be. We're all wired differently at this level. Uh, some people can never remember a day when they felt sad. Other people can hardly remember a day when they did not. And yet, Father God, in your creative brilliance, though some of these things are the expression of the fool, yet in your sovereignty you redeem them for your purpose, and so that Elijah is such a great hero. Father, I pray that um, you would help us to be real with you. To not uh, think as if you cannot handle the real stuff of life, the bills that need paying, or the child that we just don't know what to do with anymore. Help us to actually not just say the right things to you about that, but to really talk to you about that. The fears we have perhaps at the end of our lives. But then, Father, also to listen to your practical counsel. And as we do so, to be able to believe that perhaps the answer really is in the Bible, in you. And so find as we, are, as we persist with that journey, that indeed you are enough. What a great discovery. When all the other things of this life rust and fade, wrinkle and tarnish, you mercifully show us Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that you are so sufficient and sweet and that life is about you. Help us to see that this morning, all of us, I pray, in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.